Hey, Composer Quest listeners, Charlie here with a brand new Composer Quest Quest. If you're new to Composer Quest, these quests are a way for you to put into practice the things you've learned on the show. So since the recent episodes have been about electronic and video game music, I thought it'd be cool to do something along those lines. Here's the challenge. You're going to create a loopable piece of music that's less than two minutes using MIDI. Then you'll send me your audio file and the MIDI file. Then I'll take your MIDI file and send it to another random participant in this quest, and they'll have to add their own sounds without knowledge of the ones you used. You'll get someone else's MIDI file to do the same kind of remixing. When everyone's done, I'll reveal the original and the remixed versions of each track. I'm really excited to see what happens. So here are the important details. Your track must be original and created for this challenge. It can't be longer than two minutes, and it should be loopable if you can do that, so you can practice this video game composing skill. When you're exporting your MIDI files, make sure to have a separate MIDI file for each layer, and make sure each layer starts at the same time so they're easy to line up, which means you may have to add silence at the beginning. You'll have one week to compose your initial track, so email me your audio and MIDI files by next Wednesday, May 25th. My email is charlie at composerquest.com. I'll send out the MIDI files for remixing on Friday, May 27th, and then you'll have one week to remix them, so they'll be due on Friday, June 3rd. For your remix, you can do slight tweaking to the MIDI file if you want, but try to keep it essentially the same. On the legal side of things, you'll need to agree to have your music be remixed, so I'm suggesting a Creative Commons license of attribution non-commercial. If you decide later that you want to use the music in a game or something, it'll be up to you and your remixing partner to decide how the ownership is split. If you have questions about this quest, or the process of making these MIDI files, feel free to email me, charlie at composerquest.com. And if you need to revisit these details, visit composerquest.com quest19. Good luck, and happy questing! If you're wondering about this music, it's my remix of the video game track I shared last week, Surf's Up. Now, I want to leave you with an interview of one of the fathers of MIDI, Dave Smith. This was recorded by composer Eric Chasselow in 1997, and is part of his oral history series on electroacoustic music. Check it out at ericchasselow.com, spelled E-R-I-C-C-H-A-S-A-L-O-W. He's done interviews with Milton Babbitt, Pauline Oliveros, Martin Sabotnik, and many more. So here's Dave Smith talking about how MIDI came to be. I organized a meeting at the January NAMM show, which I guess was 82. We got virtually everybody who was making synthesizers at the time. So there was Moog and ARP and all the Japanese companies and Oberheim and all these companies. Everybody had sent a representative and we had this big meeting. And we sat there and talked for a few hours, and it became clear that a lot of people had no interest in the compromise aspect of this. There are some people saying, well, it's got to be 16-bit parallel, megabyte, megabaud, super-duper this, that. And other people are saying, no, no, it's got to be this and that. People were throwing out numbers that just wouldn't have worked, would have cost way too much, because you've got to put these things in every instrument you build, so it can't cost too much. Everybody just threw up their hands and said, well, we'll 
thanks. And that's the end of the meeting. Well, right after the meeting, uh, a couple of Japanese guys came up to me and said, well, we still want to talk. So I said, okay. So I think we all went to Roland's or Yamaha's or somebody's booth. And it was uh, myself and Roland Korg, Yamaha, and Kawaii. And we sat down, just a small group of us, and we just said, let's do it. So we just went forward through all of 82 designing it. And it, it was a tricky thing to do because there are features that all of us wanted to put in, but we didn't want to be too open about it. Like one that we wanted to do, we wanted it to be able to be multi-timbral. This was back in the days where nothing was multi-timbral. We knew things were going to be. We already were starting to think about and work on instruments. So we wanted to make sure that was covered in there. But we didn't want to jump up and down and ring bells in front of the Japanese saying, multi-timbral is the next thing that's going to happen, so we've got to have it in there. So we had to kind of slide it in there with trying to be real subtle about it. And that led to some confusion because uh, there was you know, the different modes. And we had something called mono mode, which was supposed to be each channel is a different sound. Well, Yamaha screwed that totally up by assuming that mono mode meant monophonic as opposed to polyphonic. And so we actually had to add a mode after the fact just to cover Yamaha's interpretation of the spec, for example. During, all during 83, as the instruments came out and started plugging into each other, we learned a lot about <laughs> what worked and what didn't. And we had to come up with further addendums to the specs and, and recommended practices of implementation and that sort of thing to uh, clear all it up. Because during while we were actually doing this, we were designing a product uh, called the Prophet 600, and Roland was doing one, the JP6, I believe it was, and we both put MIDI on it. So we were, I think Sequential was technically the first company to ship a MIDI synthesizer in December of 82. And then in January of 83, uh, at the NAMM show, uh, Roland brought over their JP6 and they plugged it into the Prophet 600, so it was the first MIDI connection, and it worked. It was great. It was cool. It actually banged on one keyboard and the other one played, and vice versa. So those were the first two instruments out, and then the DX7, I think, was that? That was later in 83, I believe. Maybe it was summer of 83 when they first showed it. And it had a couple things wrong with it. The mono mode thing came up. Uh, for some reason, their velocity only went to 100 instead of 127. You know, Keyboard wrote the big article, Trouble in MIDI land, and this and that, because there was all kinds of things going on. And there were still other companies, like Oberheim said, we're not going to do it. And uh, Voyager said, we refuse to do it. This is stupid. We're not going to use those cheesy connectors. We're not going to do anything like that. I mean, it was like a lot of people still refusing to do it. And so anybody who wasn't interested and didn't do it would trash it, of course to make it worse than it was, but you know, there were a number of problems. It wasn't like it was a, uh, everything worked perfectly the first year, so it did take some time for it to settle down.